Beloved, let's turn in our Bibles to the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Now, I have to admit that I feel very self-conscious now because someone commented upon my photographs or the pictures, the thumbnails on our it always seems like on our videos and they say why does everybody else look normal but I always look like <laughs> so I'm very self-conscious now of being in the pulpit and how I'm, how I'm advertised online I just says because I'm a funny wee man I look funny beloved let me read it to you and then we'll look at it. I'm just going to read down to verse 19 okay but we're not obviously going anywhere near 19 verses today okay and he that is jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites so he said truly i say to you that this poor widow has put more than all for all these have all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and, and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another, and that it shall be thrown down. And so they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when shall these things be, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he, that is Jesus, said, Take heed that you are not you may not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines, and pestilence. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things... They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for, as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts. Do not meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which... All your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head shall be lost. By your patience possess your souls. Amen. So we're still in the third day of Jesus' Passion. He's teaching in the temple. We know that he's just had this, this um, altercation with the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. They asked him these questions. In our, 
reference here, it's only two questions, but in Matthew we have three questions. One dealing with, with the last one dealing with what is the greatest of all commandments. And Jesus silences those who would silence him. He puts them in their places. He exposes the hypocrisy and their lack of truth. He then goes on to warn his disciples about the scribes, the professional legal Christians, those who, whose job it was to interpret the, the Torah. These were the ones who, who broke everything down. And really what they were doing was they were exploiting it for their own gain. They were using the law of God and they were making it so complicated as that no one could really understand. And then they themselves would swoop in and and take advantage of the weak and those who could not defend themselves. And Jesus warned of them. Now, in that instant, as Jesus is seated there and he's teaching, and I can just imagine this like stunned silence over the crowd. He witnesses this happening. This is not a parable. It's an observation. This isn't Jesus telling a story. This is Jesus observing something that is happening. And from that observation, he's bringing a lesson. He is teaching his own people and the, the people. And he's also teaching the, the scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, whatever sees you want who are there. Those who had ears to hear, he's teaching them a lesson. And this is what we're looking at today. First of all, he says, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples. So I would say that this is chiefly a lesson to God's people. He said this publicly, but it was intended for his disciples. It is a a life lesson, a heart lesson. It's something that his disciples needed to learn for the future and for the building of the church and for the, the maintenance of the church. It's a guideline, an observation, a strong, not a strong recommendation. It's a rule. Oh, sorry, just jumped this. And he looked up and saw the rich putting in their gifts and into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor woman putting in two mites. The scene is, as they're seated there, there was these, uh, gosh, I can't remember how many there were. A collection of, of large brass trumpets. You ever seen one of those, what are they called? A, a trombone. You know, or a tuba. You ever seen one of those big brass instruments with those big tube things? I don't know what they call them. Big cone type thing, you know? In the temple, they had a collection of these. And they were set so that people could come and they would put their money in. And the tube went all the way down to the treasury. And the money then popped out at the end and formed it. It fell into a chest at the bottom of the treasury. So you'd come up and you'd, you'd throw your money in and it would zip down. And you'd hear it. Uh, there was a, a common name for these trumpets. They were called zingers. Because when you put your money in, you could hear it going all the way down to the floor. Zingy! And then you'd hear the plop. As it came out the bottom of it, they made a certain sound. And so what was happening in Jesus' day was that those who had abundance, they would come with their little chest or little bag of coins. 
and their temple tax, you know, their offerings. It wasn't a, a required giving. Well, there was required, but these are, these are temple offerings above and beyond. And they would come and they would put it into the, the least, the smallest amount, you know, so that you'd have instead of coming with a 500 euro note and putting that in, which wouldn't make a sound, they would come with the equivalent of 500 euros all in small money. So that when they put it in, there was this great, massive, overwhelming noise as the coins all slid down. And it would trumpet through the, the, uh, the courtyard. And everybody would go, oh gosh, gosh, look how much he loves the Lord, putting all that amount of money in. It became a bit of a joke. And Jesus, as he's sitting there, observes this happening. He's seeing the, the long line of people come with their gifts. It's a very public thing. Now, you and I, when we think of giving, we have the Christian understanding of giving that we give privately, secretly almost, that we don't let our neighbors know what we're doing. Part of that's our culture, of course. Nobody really likes to show off. Most people don't like showing off, you know, that we, we're, we're very kind of... Um, Yantilog, in that sense, you know, nobody wants to be better than anybody else, and everybody's kind of you know quiet, and nobody wants to embarrass one another, nobody wants to bring attention to themselves just in case somebody gets reported to the tax man. You know. But in this time, it was quite the opposite. You wanted people to think that you were super successful, that you were enjoying the blessing of God, that you were doing well, and that you had so much to spur that you could give a great abundance to the temple to demonstrate your love to God. The more you gave, the more you loved God. People wanted to show off. They wanted to make a, a great display before the people and before God. And there was also the thinking, as you gave, God would give back. Is that a very familiar teaching, isn't it? And so these people, long line of people putting in their coins. And I can just imagine all these Sadducees, Pharisees, the, the well-dressed religious elites making a big show of what they're doing. And as Jesus is talking, in sneaks the wee poor widow. And she doesn't go up to the front. She kind of sneaks around the back. And when no one's looking, she throws in her two mites. Now, a mite, as you might imagine, is a very small coin. And the word mite, you and I understand it. It means the smallest of insect. The smallest of little bug. A tiny little thing. A speck. And so in the, the economy of Judea back then, a mite was the smallest of coin that you could get. It was... It was practically worthless they were so light that when you dropped it in the 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 zinger the big brass trumpet of collection it wouldn't have made a sound at all indeed you probably would have had to push it down it was so light a coin you probably would have had to push it down or hope that somebody else's coins pushed it down with it because it was so light it literally had no weight they're tiny they're like the, the size of your fingernail I'm so old that I remember that in English, in English money we used to have half pennies. Uh, yeah, I, I, in Finland you had pennies. Does anybody here remember Finnish money, Mark? Okay, I'm, I'm that old, I remember Mark. Yeah, and you had like a thousand. When I first came, I thought, we're rich, we have like a thousand marks. And so I was like, nah, not even close, not even close. 
But these, these were tiny little coins, the size of, like your, of an adult's fingernail. And the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us here, that this woman put in two of these mites. And then he goes on to, to instruct us, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. Now first and foremost, I think we need to establish some things. Jesus is not talking about giving here. How many times have you ever heard this, this parable? It's not a parable, a story. And it's used about giving. That we as Christians are to give. This is not a story about giving. It's a story about worship. See, they were giving their money as an act of worship. As an expression of their worship. But Jesus is not talking about giving. He's talking about worship as being expressed by their giving. But the story's not about finances. It's about the motivation of the human heart. Jesus makes the comment that this poor widow, and the word for poor means destitute, penniless, pauper in English, the poorest of the poor. Indeed, this may have been all that this woman had. But Jesus says that she has put more than all. These men were coming, and I like what it says, saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. They were giving great sums. They were coming with lavish amounts. They were coming and, and you know, pitching. I don't, I don't gamble. I've never gambled. I've never played the lottery. wouldn't know how to play the lottery in my life. I've never played one of those slot machines. Never put money in. It's not because I'm a good guy. It's just because I'm very... <laughs> don't like losing money. <laughs> <laughs> I, these are these are money stealing machines, and uh, I was brought up. You don't give your money away for free. Uh, I want something back in return, and I want more back in return than I give you in money. That's the way I was brought up. So putting the money in a machine just eats me. Um, but I can imagine that, that these men ever seen like on 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 TV the the, the, the the casinos when somebody puts money in those machines and they pull the the one arm bandit and you hear the cling 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 and lots and lots of money comes out and you hear that crashing crashing crescendo of all those coins coming out of the slots. Now I'm not encouraging you to gamble. Okay, nobody get the starry eye. I see Julia going, ooh, I did, ooh, yes, that sounds brilliant. No, Julia, don't do it. But I can imagine that that, sign, that kind of noise, that kind of, of excitement, that kind of interest is generated with these rich people pouring their money down into these slots. Here comes this rich, this, this poor, destitute pauper of a woman, a widow, an insignificant person, a person with no support system or family, with no idea of what's going to happen tomorrow, where she's going to get money from. And she puts in her two mites, the smallest amount of money that she could possibly have. And yet Jesus says that it's more than all the lavish gifts that these rich people have given. Why would that be? He goes on then to tell us, because the rich gave out of the abundance of their offerings. The rich were giving out of what they did not need. The rich were giving out of the uh, superfluity. That's the old English word. It might be in the, the authorized version. I can't remember. It, it means 
their overflow of abundance. They were not giving out of what they had or what they needed to survive. They were giving out of the section of the, this is how much we get. This is how much we need to survive for the day, for the month, for the year. And this is our profit. This is how much we, can, we, we have that we don't really need. And they were giving out of the part that they didn't really need. And they were giving a great abundance. And it wasn't really making any kind of dent or influence or effect upon their daily giving. They gave because they were, had enough to be able to give. And it cost them nothing. It was a casual sense of giving. They were purchasing for themselves fame, adoration, reputation. But it, it was at no financial cost. Not like this poor widow. As Jesus explains. But she out of her poverty gave in all the livelihood that she had. This woman gave everything she had. She had no more money to give. This is what she needed to survive on. And yet her heart was so in love with God. The standard of her worship was so high that she understood, put God first. Whereas these other ones, they... They gave in such a sense that it made no influence upon them or their lifestyle. This woman gave sacrificially so. It hurt her to worship God. And as I was studying through this this week and thinking about it and and thinking, okay, is this about finances? Am I going to preach a financial? You all know I hate financial sermons. I just am not a money guy. Don't like preaching about money. It's very uncomfortable and, and uh, can be embarrassing sometimes. And then I came down there saying, it's not about the, the finances. The finances is just an expression of something deeper. And what is it talking about? It's the difference between worthless worship and worship that is worthy. Worthless worship and worship that is worthy. He's warning his disciples about worshipping God in a way that doesn't cost them anything. In a way that, that is just convenient for them. It brings them esteem and respectability. He's warning them from a kind of worship that is just skin deep. Now beloved, I know you to be a mature and grown up and sensible people. And therefore when I talk about worship, you all understand that I'm not talking about singing in church. The music, the accompaniment. I know that you know that we're not talking about the modern understanding of worship, which is ridiculous. You know that we have been, our generation has been too affected by Hillsong, Hillsong, and by the Jesus culture that has brainwashed our generations into believing that worship is singing. It is not even singing. It's the feeling of, of exaltation you get when you sing together with others 
in a certain style. It's that feeling you get when all the endorphins and hormones and chemicals are erupting in your head. You can sway and put your hand up and look ridiculous. When you're really into it, that's worship. That's not worship at all. That's not biblical worship. Biblical worship is a life lived in obedience to the word of God. When I was thinking of this this week and studying it this week, I was reminded actually of a verse way from back in Bible college times. I'm getting old, so I'm getting all kind of, you know, looking back at the old days, you know, reflecting on how good things were in the former days and how bad they are today before Corona. And I remember being in Bible college and, and us having a, a class on these verses, Hosea 6 and 4. And it says this, O Ephraim, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew that goes away. And then jumping down to verse 6. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than the burnt offerings. Again, as I was thinking about this, the the difference between worthless worship and worship that is worthy, this verse came into my mind. If you know me, I hope you know that I love the book of Hosea. I do. Hosea is my book, in the Old Testament at least. I like it. It's a lot there for us. And here in this chapter, he's called, the, the Holy Spirit through the prophet is calling Israel back or lamenting over its unrepentant heart. And here in verse 4, he makes the accusation against them that their faithfulness, that means that their, their faithfulness to him, like a the wife's faithfulness to her husband is like a morning cloud. Like the mist. Have you ever gone fishing in the morning? Very rarely, but I will next season. And down by the river, you see this mist that's over the, over the, um, the fields. Or you're driving home in the evening time and sometimes you see the same effect. There's this kind of mist. But it's early in the morning times, as the sun comes up, that cloud just vanishes, doesn't it? Same as the, the dew of the morning. If you've ever gone walking through deep grass first thing in the morning, you're drenched. Your feet and your trouser legs are completely soaking. There just seems to be water everywhere. There seems to be more water on the ground than there is in the river. And yet, as the sun rises and the day progresses, all that water vanishes. You can walk out to the, out to the, to the river to go fishing and get soaked to the skin. And then as you turn around and later in the day, as you're about to go home again, the grass is completely drying. It's gone. It's vanished. It's mysteriously disappeared. And the Holy Spirit, through the prophet, is making the accusation against Israel of old that their commitment to him is a bit like that. It's all grand in the moment. It's all substance. You can see it and it looks effective. But as the time wears on, it disappears. As if by magic. There's no consistency. 
There's no stickability. There's no steadfastness to their commitment. They're faithless. He goes on again in verse 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The word here for, for mercy is the, the Hebrew word chaste. It means kindness as expressed towards a person. Goodness, loving kindness, commitment, a positive relationship that you're doing positive things towards a person. God demands not just that we be merciful to strangers or no to our kids or our wives, but mercy towards him, loving kindness. In my old Bible, I actually went and looked it up from, from Bible college. My old Bible that I have from Bible college, I looked it up and in the margins, I, I have it written down. Here God is demanding steadfast love from those who would follow him. Steadfast love. A love that does not change as the day goes on. A love that doesn't depart. Doesn't wax and wane. Isn't affected by the lunar cycles like the tides of the world. But it remains steadfast and secure. Stable and constant. God complained of Israel of old of that sin. And I firmly believe that we in our generation are just as guilty as Israel of old. I don't know where you stand about the church of the Old Testament. I'm a little bit mm, about this. But certainly of God's covenant people of old, they were inconstant. They were up and down, in and out. The only thing that was consistent about them was their inconsistency. Beloved, here in our text for today, Jesus is bewailing the worthless worship of Israel. Of a worship that cost them nothing. A worship that was easy come, easy go. Do you think that these rich people, if they were made destitute, then would give the same extravagant gifts that they gave whenever they were wildly wealthy? Do you think that there would be this consistency? Do you think the first thing in their heart and in their mind would be, this is God's portion? Not again because of a legalistic system, but because they love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That they put God first in their life. Their relationship with the Almighty means more to them than anything else. God demands our steadfast love. He demands worth a worship that is worthy of him. A worship that costs us something. And again, I'm not talking about singing. You understand that. How you live your life. The decisions that you make. The stand you take in this world. Whether you are set adrift on the trends and the cycles of this world, 
Just being pulled this way and that way, going wherever the world goes. Or will you stand like a lighthouse before the storms of this world? Shining out the light of Christ. Being steadfast and immovable. We are commanded to worship. Again, as I was thinking about this this week, the second verse banged into my head, into my heart. Um, Hebrews 11, talking about Moses. Verse 25. Or I'm going to start from 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. Moses' act of worship was not to be identified, not to be a passive believer, not to be a casual worshipper of God. He took his stand and his walk with God so seriously that he refused entitlement. He refused luxury and to be untouchable. If he had been known as the the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he would be untouchable. But yet he cleaved unto Israel. He identified with them, not because of some sort of ethnic, they're my people, high five, you know, but because of the God of Israel. You and I, beloved, how are we to learn from this? Is it about giving? I, mean, I think of all those terrible word of faith messages I've heard about this. The, the, you go into speculation and illustrations about the poor wee widow. And then she gave her two mites. And of course the Lord would give her a hundredfold back. We don't know that. I have no no teaching what happened to this woman. Jesus doesn't elaborate or illustrate. His message is about the motivation of men in worship. Of course finances are a great illustration of where your heart lies. The Bible says that the love of money is at the root of all evil. And we know that, don't we? Finances, people are bought and sold. They sell their soul for 30 pieces of silver. We understand. But how Jesus is using this illustration is to demonstrate very clearly that we are to worship in such a way that it costs us something. That we, we put God first. That we identify with him. And that we are steadfast in our worship. We're not up and down, in and out. We're not the kind of people who draw attention to ourselves. Or don't worship at all. How we use our money is, is very telling. What we invest in. The Bible says where your heart is there, your treasure is also. That you invest yourself in the things that you find important. That you contribute to the things that you find important. This little old lady, this pauper, penniless widow, her priorities were God first. God first. And in doing so, again, not making a big deal of it, I can imagine she was hidden and quiet and 
didn't bring attention to herself and all the rest, but she made sure that she gave what she had to God in order to worship. Jesus contrasts that with these men who were giving out of their superabundance. That it cost them nothing. It was a casual thing. It was a, a, a social thing, almost. A pantomime, a theater, a performance. Something styled in order that they themselves might receive something in return. Applaud, reputation. Jesus is pointing out the motivation of worship. And I would ask you, where does your motivation lie? Do you do things in order that you might receive barum? Is that the word in Swedish? What's that in English? Um, Praise. Praise. Thank you. Do we do things online in order that we would be seen and heard and noticed and that people would applaud us? Facebook is a terrible place for sitting like that, isn't it? one of the three expressions of sin the boasting of what a man has and does Jesus is teaching his disciples a very important lesson that there will be people who worship in spirit and in truth to be worshippers of reality and to be consistent in their worshipping even when they have nothing even when they are at the worst, the least that they can be, they are called to be consistent in their worship. This little woman, though she went unnoticed on earth, heaven saw. Heaven celebrated over the the gift of this woman. Over her commitment and love. God isn't blind and nothing goes unnoticed. Beloved, you and I in our commitment and in our following of Jesus, we must be consistent. And we must be prepared to give our everything. Our two mites. All that we have and more. This is not a a message on tithing. Or in sacrificial giving. It's a message on consistent worship. On the difference between worthless worship. Worship that means nothing. It's empty. It's like a clanging symbol. That has no real depth. It's just a big loud noise. Boom. And then it's gone. Between that. And the song of heaven. Eternal worship that lasts forever. A fragrance that is an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Beloved, let your life be one that is pleasing to God. Let us not be amongst those who are of this generation that think that they can do whatever they please, whenever they please, and get away with it. That God doesn't care. 
the more grandioser their, their gift, the more careless their foolishness, the greater the spectacle, the more God is pleased. Beloved, I have been in, in worship meetings where people have fallen down and behaved like they're drunk and men have pretended they've had Holy Ghost shotguns and shot people and they've fallen down. I've been in meetings where people have laughed and screamed and rolled around the floor like they're possessed of the devil and so-called believers have applauded. I was part of those meetings. Foolishness. Such foolishness. Because true and real worship is in your everyday. It's you standing before the world and demonstrating that your Savior lives and that you letting that inner light shine in the, light, in the eyes of the men and women around you of an unveiled and unhidden reality in your life. We don't want worldly worship in the church. That's just casual and corrupt. It's the singing of songs and the lifting of hands and the clapping. Again, I have no real problem with any of those things. You want to do them, and if it's appropriate in the right time, you can go ahead and do it. As long as it's done tastefully and in order. Not manically and crazy. Not in such a way as to bring attention to yourself and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, let me ask you, let me point you to this truth. Are you steadfast in your worship, day and daily? Has your worship become like the morning mist? I would say, beloved, we all in this life must fight. We must struggle. We must repent and come back. It's an ongoing fight to worship Jesus. The world is so distracting, so shiny and glittery. It's so loud and constant. It's continually nagging at us and trying to draw us away, trying to bully us and intimidate us from the true and real worship of God. And it's all too easy take one step to the side. It's all too easy to close your eyes and lift up your hands and, and pretend. All of us grow weary and tired. Can slip and make mistakes. But the truth is that we, when we see these things, remember what we read in Leviticus today. Even if he does these things and is not conscious, he is yet still guilty of this sin. Though you may not have intentionally drifted away, intentionally become unstable, though it may be simply just for a time and a, an epic, the guilt still lies upon us. Now, I'm not saying this, of course, is a sin that will make you lose your salvation or whatever. But it's certainly something that will, will keep you from the presence of God. It will rob you of the joy of His presence. Of the successfulness of what it means to know Him. This is a lesson that Christ taught His church in order that we might thrive. 
in order that we might enjoy him forever, in order that we might be able to be consistent. Remember that the accusation made against Israel of old about their faithfulness. As a husband is faithful to a wife, so the faithfulness of the church to Christ. Imagine if Christ was to turn to us and say, your, your faithfulness is like the morning mist. Your faithfulness is like the morning mist. Like the dew upon the earth. Here for but a while, and then it's gone. There's no substance to you. There's no consistency to you. That would break my heart. Imagine if your wife said that to you. Your children said that to you. Your husband said that to you. It would break your heart. Let us not be guilty of inconsistency. Let us not be, be guilty of, of a lack of faithfulness to the Lord. Let us be of those who worship in a worthy manner. Beloved, repent with me. Ask the Lord to reveal in our hearts those areas where we have been bullied, intimidated, tempted, drawn aside. Let us strive for a deeper life of, of intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. That our faithfulness might shine forth. That our worship might be that that costs us something. You don't want to give a gift that costs you nothing. You know, there's this terrible habit. I saw it on a meme once uh, that somebody receives a Christmas present that they, they don't want. So next year they give it away to someone else, but they accidentally give it to the person who gave it to them. You know, how embarrassing would that be? Oh gosh. You want to give a present that didn't cost you something. You don't want people to think that their, their relationship with you is meaningless. Beloved, let us love the Lord our God with all our soul, heart, mind, and strength. Let, let us be among those who put God first. Who don't try and scrape a little bit off the side. Lord, this is all my portion and this is your portion. The poor widow gave her all. All that she had because God was worth it. Let you and I fall into that category. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us as always. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to enter into that deeper life. Lord, that greater commitment. We desire to be true and real spiritual children. Lord, we are very convicted as to the state of our faithfulness. Lord, we know that you yourself are faithful. But Lord, indeed, oftentimes we struggle and fall to temptation and are not faithful. We lack consistency. Lord, all too often we are intimidated and bullied and affected by the teachings of this world. Lord, far too many of us have been brainwashed by the, the, the propaganda of the false church as to the, what worship is. Lord, we pray you'd forgive us. Lord, you'd help us to, to live our lives day and daily according to your word, that we would strive to bring every relationship, every friendship, Lord, every aspect of our lives under your word, 
that you might be exalted, that your light might shine in this world, that, Lord, we might shine forth brightly, that you might receive much glory and draw all men unto yourself. Oh, Lord, forgive us our sins, Lord, for they are many. Forgive us them and help us to repent of them. Lord, not just to feel regret, but, Lord, to change and to turn around and go the opposite way. Lord, we pray that we might be as consistent, that we might be as thoughtful, that we might be as faithful as the poor widow. Oh, Lord, we, your disciples, cry out to you for help. Lord, for those who do not know you, Lord, for those who do not know the joy of knowing you and the peace of knowing you, for those who are still lost in the darkness and have no concept of what it means, Lord, to be adrift, they, Lord, are creatures of darkness. We pray for them. Oh, God, that you would convict them of their sins. Lord, that you would give them insight into the depths of the separation between them and yourself. The Lord, that you would allow them to to feel the, 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 the burning of hell and the depths of the separation. Oh God, and that you would call them unto yourself and that, Lord, that they would come, they would come willingly and gratefully. But Lord, they would believe in you and follow you and be yours for eternity. Lord, this is our prayer and our pleading. We ask this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen.